Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at StartupRadioNetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Eso es todo. Buenos, Buenos días. días. Feliz viernes. Bienvenida, Feliz Clau. Viernes. ¿Cómo estás? Bienvenida de Ay, regreso al estudio. Me encanta venir aquí. Este, me encanta compartir con ustedes estas historias y a compartir este espacio tan uh, necesario para nosotros los emprendedores y para aprender uh, lecciones buenas y malas. <risa> claro. Y bueno, hoy tenemos un invitado muy excepcional. Es un amigo también de aquí local. Eso no, siempre sí, nos encanta claro, tener claro. gente aquí en el estudio. Sí. John Cárdenas de John Prosper Cárdenas. Portland. ¿Cómo estás, John? Buenos días. Muy bien, muy bien. Uh, Súper nervioso. Un poquitito para <risa> hablar lo, lo español. Lo sudando. Uh, we can do <risa> it in Spanish. Preferred language. Yeah. Okay. ¿De, ¿De dónde eres? Soy de aquí. Soy Ajá, de Portland. De, de Portland. Naciste mm -hmm. en Portland. Nací y, en y Portland. La, y la familia es Crecí de... Crecí en Woodburn. Ajá. Fui a uh, high school en uh, uh, Salem. Ajá. En North Salem High School. Ajá. Um, pero viví un montón de mi vida aquí en Portland. Ajá. ¿Y cómo aprendiste a hablar español? Pues mis papás son mexicanos. Ajá. ¿De mi, qué parte? Mi mamá y la parte del de, lado de mi mamá son de Texas. Okay. Um, siempre... They, they've always been from Texas. Uh -huh. And my dad's side of the family is from uh, Jalisco. Very from a little good. tiny town called Tamazulita. Yes. Um, it's uh, about two and a half hours northwest of Guadalajara. And, oh, wow. th and that's why you're Cardenas, because... Uh, mm. Claudia Cardenas. <laughs> Cardenas, like sí, a sí, really sí. very uh, close. Like, I'm from Colima. Well, my, my family... Ah. It's from Colima, and uh, maybe we're related. We need we've, to, we we've need to check to, that out. We've got to be at, at some point. Yeah, right? I mean, there's too much of a coincidence. Yeah, definitely. And you guys look a lot alike. Good-looking <laughs> people. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, honestly, I got that. I was at the Hispanic Chamber yeah. one day, and somebody said, uh, is that your sister because uh, she's single? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I hadn't actually even met you yet. Oh, really? No, I hadn't oh, wow. even met And I was like, and my like, sister. Who, I was like, who's that? Yes, <laughs> she has a boyfriend. What are you talking about? Where did you see my sister? <laughs> Thank you. Keep your grubby hands to yourself. <laughs> Love. Uh -huh. Yeah, we need more people like you, John. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, John, like, tell me uh, the growing up part of it, like in your house, like how was it, like how Latinos you guys were? Yeah, well, I didn't even realize that I spoke English <laughs> I, or, or Spanish. I didn't realize either one. I had no idea. Growing up in Woodburn is, is pretty amazing because it there's so many Latinos, so many Mexicanos in Woodburn, and the the, the Part of the the population that we most closely associated ourselves with were farm workers, and of course our family. Mm -hmm. I have sixty five first cousins, and wow. so yeah, it's a big family. My my dad has eleven kids. My my mother has twelve uh, mm -hmm. in her family, and she's the youngest of twelve. And so uh, her oldest brother is like thirty two or thirty three years older than she oh, is. Oh wow! And so they all had kids, and they had kids, and they all had kids. Back so, when there was no cable. <laughs> on TV no, or internet yeah <laughs> no when yeah. the, the populations were like growing faster yeah they're like well that's, that's the end of the day so so half of Woodburn really. is related to John which is uh, you 
kind of weird that you say that, but that's my apprehension with dating Latina women. Uh-huh. Because you know, within a <laughs> within 30 minutes, it's at six degrees of separation. Within 30 uh-huh. minutes, I'm like, da chinga we're related. Mira no mas. Well, nice to so meet you. So you need to get yeah. out of there so yes, you can uh, exactly. get, have yeah, a girlfriend. Ex- expanded geography. <laughs> I know, I know. And so I did the Ancestry.com thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was That was super telling because we always thought that there was Chinese in our family. Uh-huh. We always thought that because the rumor mm. had been that my great-grandfather was Chinese. And in northern Mexico, there were a lot of Chinese mm-hmm. that were brought in to build railroads. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 there was a lot of them. And it was not uncommon for them to couple up and marry. Hey, and you know what? Procreate. And, <laughs> you know, that, that I mean, that was super common. El cuerpo llama. And porque mi mamá y el lado de mi mamá a veces se parecen chino. You could like figure, you could go, mm-hmm. you look, you've got a little bit of that. Yeah. And if it was just one of my great grandparents, we always thought that that's what it was. So we did the Ancestry.com thing, and it turns out that no, there is nothing that traces any yeah. sort of. Uh, really? Orient to, to Asia? So no, you're like, you guys are like Latinos 100%. Pretty much. Well, yeah. it's, mine came up uh, 37% yes. Spanish from Spain. Yes. Uh, and then high 60s of North American, South American, Latin ancestry, mm-hmm. yes. native Latin ancestry. That is so cool. I need to do that too. 5%, That's really cool. 5% North African, like 2% Portuguese and like all these other things that you would expect, you know, that came with the Spanish yeah. blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but they traced it right to South Texas. They said this is the epicenter of your lineage is South Texas. That's my mom's side. Yes. And then Western Jalisco. That's crazy. Where my dad's family is from. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty accurate. Very accurate. Oh, yeah. nice. That's, that's so, uh, so how many siblings do you have? I have two older sisters and a younger brother. Okay. My younger brother's birthday was yesterday. And so I, he's not that much younger. He's 41. Are they listening okay. to you today? Happy uh, birthday, brother. Happy birthday, brother. Yeah? Yeah, he's probably not listening to it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. John, this is like, it's your time to launch al estrellato. Well, uh, we, we, my brother is amazing. My brother is an amazing artist. He's an amazing thinker. He's super smart, and I love him dearly, and he's so funny. He is, uh, he's, he's just a treasure. He's an absolute treasure to have around. Um, but for the last few years, we've been telling people that he's, in college, yes, and um, he's uh, he's locked up right now. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he's not able to to, to listen freely to the not internet. freely, yes. <laughs> okay. not freely, not freely. But um, but I love him dearly. Yes. Awesome. Well, we'll send him send him highs anyway. Yeah, I love. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, John, tell us uh, more about like um, you grew up, uh, went to school, and where was like that that passion for you for the community and mm-hmm. like because I know mm-hmm. that the work that you have right now, uh, it's like like direct to mm-hmm. the to working with the community. Right. Like when do you in your early ages you're like, okay, this is for me. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Uh, and by the way, you know, you you're uh, the senior manager for diversity and equity. He's well, a, the title. Something. Yeah. My title is really long. It's super yeah. clunky. What I do I have it. Public relations community outreach and engagement. That's yeah. my uh, old one. Oh, that's the yeah, old, one. old one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he's senior. Yeah. My new title is a senior construction business and workforce equity project manager. Okay. 
Yeah, so basically what that means, my current role, I am in charge of all of our um, business and workforce equity policies on Mm -hmm. all of our real estate projects across the city. Okay. So right now we're tracking, I believe it's something like 35 different projects. Mm -hmm. Um, The smallest one is in the hundreds of thousands to uh, close to a million, and the largest one is over 100 million. Okay. So we have a lot of projects that we're tracking. And my job is to make sure that we have people of color and women working on our projects, mm-hmm. successfully working on our projects. And so we have minimum participation goals for each one of these projects. You have to hire and to work with a certain number of people of color and women in each one of our projects. And it's my job to make sure that that is, is in fact happening, uh-huh. that the project managers know where to find these people and that the that the businesses are getting paid and that they're able to move on to the next job. So you're working like directly uh, with the city or like how do you uh, make sure that uh, you're, you're saying minorities, right, mm-hmm. are like getting these opportunities? Mm-hmm. How, how do you work? Like, what's like the the connection between uh, this project and, and this community, Pros- business community? Prosper Portland, that's a good question. Prosper Portland is... A city bureau, uh-huh. but the difference with Prosper Portland and any other city bureau is that we're not directly funded by the city of Portland. We take a small percentage, a small portion of our annual budget comes from city hall, so it comes in what's oh, called okay. general funds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The rest of our revenue comes from um, a system called tax increment financing, and that's money that we raise on our own through our own real estate development endeavors. Okay. And that that money that we raise through tax increment is used to invest in lots of new development all mm-hmm. over the city. Mm-hmm. And we have 11 different urban renewal areas and each one of those urban renewal areas throws off a certain amount of cash mm-hmm. increment the difference yeah, yeah. and that's the money that we use to, to for the development projects that we have. Um, so most people don't know or really don't connect Prosper Portland with the city of Port- with the city of mm-hmm. Portland, quote unquote. Yes. We have our own we have our own commission. Uh, we have, of course, like I said, we have our own budget. We've got our own um, way of doing things. That we have our own human resources. We have we're, we're separate in a lot of ways. Yes. And people often call us accurately. They call us this quasi governmental agency. Okay. Yes. Because yeah. we operate a lot more like a like a open market, basically a, 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 a regular Almost a regular business, a regular business, real estate yeah. development business with some caveats to that. Okay. So, and, and I think that that's where like the disconnection of like with, with the business community, um, it's, it's, uh, it's that, that part is missing because we don't know what the governmental um, uh, agencies do. Mm. So, like as as a business, like as a construction company, like I don't know what Prosper Portland is doing. I don't mm-hmm. know what the uh, yeah. BS, uh, uh, BDS is doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, and it, that's where like the disconnection, right. like, is. That's what I'm trying to figure out right, right now. <laughs> awesome, great. There's a, there's a there's a lot of stuff between. The fr- actually, the first question you asked me is, will lead eventually to that. So mm-hmm. I want to get back to that. I want to tell you k- kind of where I got started and mm-hmm. how I started to think about mm-hmm. this stuff. When you asked, like, how did this 
idea, this understanding of how to develop a community and all that kind of stuff happen. Yes. I'm going to say the things that we probably know already. I started with my parents. Mm-hmm. My dad worked for the street department in Woodburn. Mm-hmm. And so he was a maintenance worker. And so he um, he dug ditches and he cleaned streets and he made street signs. And mm-hmm. he, uh, he worked there for a long time. And his understanding of civic engagement it was innate in him. He did it just because he did it. My, my dad also hated mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see litter. Mm-hmm. He could not stand to see garbage on the ground anywhere. So anytime he would see litter in public, he would literally just start picking it up, yeah. just start cleaning it up. And yeah. I was like, why are you doing that? It's not our stuff. He exactly. goes, no, this is all of our stuff. Yes. We live in mm-hmm. the city. Let's That's take some pride awesome. in this city. Yes. Let's clean it up. If you mm-hmm. see something that you can pick up by yourself, do it. Mm-hmm. It's it's all of our responsibility. And that that's the kind of little tiny seeds that get planted when you're young and, and you're in those formative years mm-hmm. that start to grow. And they I start agree. to think about things that you're not just a single individual. You live in a community and you have a responsibility to that community. Yes. And then my mother worked at a grocery store basically my whole life. And my mother... Uh, she had her own community inside that grocery store. And there was something there was something so beautiful about working in a grocery store. I've always said that if I had to do it over again, I would either become a nurse to help people mm-hmm. or I would go into the grocery business in some way or another. Okay. And what's fabulous about the grocery industry is that my mom worked in pretty much every department you can think of inside of a grocery store. And I remember her saying that if you think about what a grocery store means, it is the epicenter of community. Mm-hmm. It's where you go. Exactly. The, your neighbors all go to the same grocery store. Yeah. You get to meet the, the, the people. It's a mercado. Are, yeah, it's mm-hmm. basically that. It's, yeah. That's where you yeah. feed your family. This is where, you, you know, you come for the basics, the staples of your life. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of minimize that, but it's really important. And my mom would take certain people around there to the, to the store and she would help them find a what healthy dinner yeah. with a limited amount of money that they had. And so she could help to, to do that. And that's really important to me. And then you think about all the other stuff that a grocery store means. It's, it's local produce, mm-hmm. organically grown. Yes. I mean, how we feed mm-hmm. our children and the health implications of all of that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, it's a much bigger sort of idea than my mom worked at a grocery store. My mom worked at yes. a grocery store, and that is community development and building community, mm-hmm. too. Exactly. And she took it as, as that, like that, that serious, and I did, too. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about, okay, well, what's my role? Yeah. What do I want to do? And then what was that age? I was eight. Eight? Wow. Probably wow. seven or and eight. And that's, that's something that uh, you would think that uh, every family will teach our kids to think of. Like, mm. what's your purpose in life? What are you going to do in the mm-hmm. future? That's why our kids are so lost right now. Mm. They don't know where to mm. go. They don't mm. know what to do. And then they are just uh, don't know what uh, their purpose in life is. And then right. what they they have a lot of skills. They have a lot of, uh, they're, they're so smart. Like, kids nowadays <laughs> are so smart, but they don't know what to do. So uh, this is nice that your family have put that uh, that seed mm-hmm. in you since uh, a, a At very an early age. Early age. Yeah. Yeah. And you knew exactly what what you want to do. I, 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 I thought I did, and then I discovered uh, National Geographic magazine. Uh-huh. And National Geographic magazine blew my little tiny eight-year-old mind. There was a guy across the street, he was an older man, and they were having a garage sale, and he had a bunch of National Geographics for sale. I went over there, and I just started looking at them. They were gorgeous, just beautiful photos mm-hmm. and beautiful magazines. I'd never seen them before. And they were just amazing, and he was selling them all at this garage sale. And I didn't have any money, and I went back across the street to my mom, and I said, Mom, can I have some money to buy 
these the National Geographic magazines. She was like, "Paca chingos, que eres esos mexicos? Hombre, they're gonna be all stacked up all over the house." Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. And I said, "No, mom, I really, really want them." And she said, "Well, how much are they?" And he said, "He's selling all of them for ten dollars." And there were there were a lot. There were probably two hundred. Wow, oh, wow. That was a yeah. whole collection, yeah. a whole bunch. And um, and uh, I went back. She said no, and I went back over to the man. I said, "No, I can't. I can't buy them. My mom won't give me money." And he goes, "Do you really want them?" And I said, "Yeah, I really, really do." And he said, "Okay, well, pull that one edition out." He told me which one to pull out, and he goes, "And turn that to page thirty-eight, and inside there was a picture of him." Inside the National Geographic magazine, serious? he what? was one of the guys that got hired when they were doing um, the the reconstruction era, when they were building the national park system yeah. after the war and trying to get people back to work, and you know uh-huh. after the depression. And he was one of those guys that helped to build Timberline Lodge. Okay, and his photo was in there with a group of other loggers or construction work, yeah. right? And all these kids, they were kids, they were like wow. in their early twenties. And he said, "See that little one right there? That's me." I helped to do this the, 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 the original construction of Holy Timberline Lodge. I know, right? Wow, that's incredible. I well, know. For the people yeah. that don't know, the Timberline yeah. Lodge is the, the, the yeah. face of the Shining, the Hotel of the Shining. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the yeah. exterior, oh, yeah, beautiful that's amount true. of yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just exterior. A beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. But, here in Oregon. So mm-hmm. that uh, wow. that to me just helped me just latch on to National Geographic magazine even more. And then I started to really pour into what it means. And it National Geographic magazine is freaking amazing because it is truly the chronicle of Every living thing on Earth mm-hmm. and every celestial body we have ever known about, all of them are locked inside these magazines. And the over the decades, the magazine, the quality of the magazine has changed. It's gone up and down. But one thing that stays absolutely consistent is the photography. Oh, my gosh. It's, it, yeah. And yes. then I fell in love with photography. And oh, then wow. I absolutely yeah. fell in so love our, with photography. I just found out that we have something in common because I grew up, uh, you know, when I— when, You know, as a, as a child in Mexico City, we, we went to a club. Uh, it was for bankers because my mom was a banker and mm. a nice Arab. But uh, so we had a library where I, you know, will come from school, go to the club because I was a swimmer. And I'll do my homework in the library. And they had this section with National Geographic's dating from the 1920s. Yep. And I would just, I probably saw them all. Literally, they had a whole section. And that was, that was my that was my thing. I'll do my homework. And I would just ask the guy, hey, can you let me go into the adult section, you know, the, the grown-up, because they didn't want right. kids. Sure. No, they didn't have, not even know. So, wow, But all you. these, all these, and, and you know what I love more, you know, the photography. Yeah. I fell in love with photography. I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer for when I grew up. That's why I got into scuba diving and shit like that. But more than that, you know, it, one one thing that I, it also amazed me is like a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Because I would love, I would love to see the ads, the cars mm-hmm. from the 1930s, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, yeah. uh, just the the lifestyle, and just imagine what it was like. Yep. You know, yeah. back then, so yeah. it, it was phenomenal. Be, being curious, yeah, yeah. and that's uh, that's where that just like that. That's exactly where. How do you capture these moments, these images, mm-hmm. these things that are so meaningful? And then you read about little tiny towns in the middle of nowhere, America, and they're thriving. And you know nothing about them. And yeah. these gorgeous photos that are candid, they're poignant. And take you there. They, they, you get immersed instantly mm-hmm. in what's going on there. And that started to plant the seed that I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to start making mm-hmm. film. I wanted to start telling my own stories. And, and I did. And I did oh, that wow. for a very, very long time. And so, I started like, to— And what were your topics? 
Oh, well, at first they were all crap, but, <laughs> but they were fun. Yes. Were lots of home movie type of things. Nudies. They're called nudies. <laughs> <laughs> not there yet. You can not say there. it uh, on air. It's okay. It's a podcast. So. <laughs> they, they, were, they were mostly, most of them were just, you know, they're silly or really kind of yeah, dumb. Yeah, yeah. But putting your hands on a camera. Yeah. How in, old were you? Probably 10 or 12. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you were like yeah. very young, mm -hmm. very curious, just like uh, creating yeah. things. Yeah. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to yeah. really do that kind of thing. And then, you know, when you're young, Latino, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't yeah. have stuff. We never yeah. owned our own video camera. But my friend, Joel Miller, uh -huh. had one. Uh -huh. He owned one, and we used to use his, and it was his parents, of course, but they would let us use this video camera, and we would make silly little videos and, and things like that. But the bug never, it never quit. It never stopped. And mm -hmm. then uh, when I was 13, I got a job at a movie theater, and I worked as a projectionist in the movie theater, which I credit entirely f being able to graduate high school because I worked as a projectionist. What's a projectionist? The projectionist who starts the movies. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, wow. 13 years old. All right. And I worked there all through high school. Yes. And uh, I I think I graduated high school because I was a projectionist because there's nothing to do after you've seen the movie 500 times. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you, doing homework. You're, yeah. You're pretty much yeah, you're nothing not, left yeah. to do but do your homework. And yes. so I did. And that was... <laughs> That was a that was a really good education for me because you you watch the same film that you love over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and then you start to see how scenes are created. You start to mm -hmm. see your favorite scenes of that film, the structure of it, the timing of it, the the way it was edited, exactly how it sounds. All of those things are these mini educational um, sessions that I would go to. Uh, all the in in my time when I was working there, I I was, was a projectionist during the time when The Doors, Oliver Stone, yeah. Mm, um, yeah. uh, Boys in the Hood, uh, Goodfellas, mm -hmm. um, cartoons that had just come out like Aladdin, which was a big thing, yeah. Disney yeah. film, and uh, there was something to learn from every single one of those films. Menace to Society. There was a ton of stuff to learn, and that yes. that turned into this fascination and this love for. Latin cinema and Latino cinema. Yeah. So then I started to collect Latin cinema, and I have personally, I have the largest collection of Latin American films anywhere that I have found in the state of Oregon. Wow. I have a larger yeah. collection of films of Latin cinema as yeah. it relates to the, the, the Mexican-American, the Latino-American experience. Yeah. Uh -huh. I have a larger collection than U of O, larger collection than OSU, oh, larger shit. collection yeah. than Portland State University, than anyone I've, I've seen. What? And it's only 400-something films, 420-something films. And what's your favorite film? In Latin America, it, it depends on the day. It really yeah. depends on the day and the time. Like, uh, give, give me a top one, like from uh, uh, El Norte. El Norte. Yeah, Gregory Nava. Yeah, okay. that's a good movie. El Norte like is yeah. El, El Norte okay. is, is one of the classic, uh, and it's so, and that's the movie that comes up over and over again. Every two or three years, it becomes re relevant mm -hmm. again. Yeah. And now that film is more relevant today than it's ever been, even from the day that it was 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 put out. Yeah. Because it deals with border crossing. Yes. It deals with people that come from Central America, that go through Mexico, that get stopped at the border, and the shit that, that they, they have go to through. go through. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And so all of these things kind of led me to start thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and what I wanted to, like, how I wanted to proceed. And and um, uh, do, you, do you want the long story or the short story? I don't know how much time we have. Uh, Oh, we so we're good, we're good, but uh, give me ages because I yeah. am just like okay. So into at this point, <laughs> at this point, I'm 
16 or uh-huh. 17. Okay. I graduate high school at 17. I get a scholarship to go to Mount Hood Community College mm-hmm. um, for acting. Um, I was in theater. I was in res- I was wrestling first. I broke my arm, and my coach at the time said, your friends are a bunch of idiots. You can't go home <laughs> yeah. after school because you're going to do nothing with yourself. And he knew that my job as a projectionist didn't start till like five mm-hmm. in the evening, and then I worked until like ten or eleven at night, and and then I went back to school. And but he said that that time that you have by yourself, your friends are idiots, and you're gonna watch. They're all gonna get in trouble. They're all gonna waste their their lives. You yeah. need to do something with yourself. You're smart. You're funny. You can do other things. You need to get into theater. And so he did. And through theater, I got this scholarship to go to Mount Hood Community College. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in 1992. So I was 17. Yeah. And um, then. And uh, my real dad called out of the blue, and I, I hadn't talked to him since I was seven, mm-hmm. and now I'm 17. Ten years later, he calls me out of the blue, and he says, I got your number from your cousin. I saw your cousin, and uh, I just got out of jail. Can I come and move in with you? And I was like, what? Yeah, uh, exactly. You were already living by yourself? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... Uh, what, I, it, I said, what yeah. it went through your head right then and there? Like, I, I was shocked and I was surprised, but I was happy also okay. that he called. Yes. And, and, uh, and yeah, so I said, yes, of course. I need some place to go. Yeah. I need some place to be. Can I come and move in with you? Yeah. And I said, yeah. Awesome. And, yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. it pissed off my mother to no end. My yeah. sisters, my brother, they were all so mad at me. And my, my stepdad now, who's been my stepdad since I was mm-hmm. 13, he's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we started, uh, he moved in and we started living together. And then I was doing really, really bad in school. Yeah. Really, really bad. And uh, I actually got kicked out of Mount Hood Community College with a 1.31 GPA. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Holla. <laughs> <laughs> and then I eventually quit because my dad, my real dad, told me, he said, Miko, you know what? You are extremely unhappy. You're not doing what you want to do. You're not actually producing the kind of thing in your life that you want. You should quit. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what well, that is horrible advice to give <laughs> your child is to quit when it gets hard. Yeah. Um, but I, in fact, I did quit because I did not like theater. Yeah. I wasn't a theater person. I'm not an actor yes. like that. I'm not that. Mm-hmm. I used that as an opportunity to get to school and to understand what college is like. And I used that opportunity that they were giving me. And yeah. I was so thankful for the opportunity that they saw something in that me that I don't thing. see for myself. Yeah. I So fast forward to me quitting that job. Or quitting school, I got a job and I was working these sort of meaningless jobs. And I was working at this credit card bank in um, Beaverton, and I applied for this job that I was very qualified for, but you needed a bachelor's degree. And I didn't get the job because I didn't have a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I quit that day. Yeah. I quit. And I was like, this is it. I'm going back to school. Yeah. And I went to the unemployment office downtown. I, they said, we, there's a job available for you at Portland State University. And you can work in the admissions office and the registrar's office. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And then I, I mean, started literally the next day after that. Yeah. Oh, I, wow. I, yeah. I, there was a quick interview, like a 20-minute interview, and they're, they're like, great, when can you start? And I said, I can start tomorrow. And they're like, great, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> and so when I was there as an employee at Portland State, at the time, this was in the 90s, at the time you could do, it was $20 a credit hour, and you can take college classes. My GPA mm-hmm. was so low that I wouldn't be admitted as a regular student, so I had to do the special admission type of blah, blah, blah. But I was going through the book of classes, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, I want to do business. Mm-hmm. No, that's too greedy. I want to do sociology. No, that's too 
mushy, gushy, whatever. Yeah. How about economics? No, that's too boring. And I was thinking, I want to do <laughs> no, something. I want to do something that helps to, you know, kind of build or develop community. And I had all these ideas in my head mm. about what I wanted to do, I, filmmaking and and photography and, you know, the Latino experience here and people of color experience yeah. here. So I was going through the the book and it was something that helps to develop community in some way. And I'll be goddamned if they didn't have a community development section. And in community development at Portland State University, it is a mix of all of those things. It's it's lots exactly. of math, yes. lots of economics, of urban planning, okay. mm-hmm. sociology. So you got a little bit of everything. It's all of those disciplines. It. Yeah. It's yes. all of those disciplines, all of those things that I was looking at in, in that one particular way. And so I pursued that as my bachelor's degree, and that's ultimately what I graduated with yeah. is my bachelor's degree is in um, community development and housing and real estate development. Okay. Perfect, and so yeah. that's uh, that's what and, led me to this. And right. everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, like you have uh, all this background from your family and uh, all the things that you have to go through. So, um, okay, I'm going to... No, 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 no. We're no, going to pay the bills? <laughs> yeah, we're going to pay the bills. We'll be right back because, you know, this is when... Yeah. Ahora se pone I love bueno. this. Esto se está poniendo <laughs> bueno. <laughs> Today's episode of the Latino Founder Hour is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize has broken down PR into a modular setup, keeping quality high and simply charging fees for the targeted PR you require. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Claudia and Edgar sent you. CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Well, and we're back, and yeah, we're yeah, just we're discussing back. with John, yes. and he, he just asked an important question. Where are we doing the tearaway pants? So stick out to the end of the podcast because he's, he's got, you know, Velcro pants. He has Velcro pants. And Those we, are all set in I'll close my eyes. Not, not true, not true. So... Um, uh, so yeah, like uh, all these like background that you had and and being a Latino and mm-hmm. like where did you find yourself like in into a reality that uh, we we need this? This yeah. is a, a need from the past, from uh, the present, and then and I hope not for the future. Mm-hmm. Like what are we changing in there? What's John Cardenas doing right now that mm-hmm. is gonna help us to change? Right. The, the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I took my college experience and I and I all the Chicano Latino studies classes and all of my time with uh, Maria Lanis at PSU, talking about my future, talking about what the hell I wanted to do and how yeah. I was actually going to be a contributor, mm-hmm. change the world. I don't know. No, but but be, like, a be a contributor, yeah. yes. help lift Definitely. the weight mm-hmm. that we're under. Of course. That's, that, that's what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And so I really started to focus on how can I use my video experience to tell stories about how mm-hmm. cities are developed. Yeah. How and why in every city is there a rich side and a poor side? How and why in every city there's a white side and a black side? Yeah. How and why was the decided that the highway goes there? of mm-hmm. all places uh, that all of those kinds of things I wanted to I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. how come how come in, in in large cities when there's the geographic designation before the name of the of the city you know it's going to be shitty Mm-hmm. Or it's always it's a euphemism and, for people of color. And yeah. when you start telling these stories, like what what was the reaction from like 
the, the people that you work with? Well, the people that I work with were, were happy that I was going to tell these stories. The people that I was telling these stories about were surprised that anyone cared about their story at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's surprising to me. Yeah. And those are the stories that, those are truly the stories that build community. That's, that's why it was true, important. True, true. And so, I, you know, I, started, I wanted to start telling these stories on video, on film, start to create all these little tiny pieces uh, about how cities are developed and mm-hmm. why and the, the, there's the psychology behind it, there's, there's the economics behind it, there's all of these other things that go into mm-hmm. the development of a city, and I wanted to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I had a boss at what used to be called the Portland Development Commission, we mm-hmm. changed our name to Prosper Portland, but I had a boss named John Jackley who said 100% green light, do it. Yeah, th- yeah, I think that's when I met you. You were yeah. doing the video for them, like yeah. ten, twelve years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been at I've been at the city for almost sixteen years. Yeah, and twelve and a half of those years, I was a videographer and photographer, and I worked mm-hmm. for all of the city bureaus. I've done work for mm-hmm. all of the city bureaus. Yeah, at some point, mm-hmm. and so I. I Got a really large, well-rounded education in, in how city government operates. Mm-hmm. And I always used to say that as a videographer and a storyteller like that, I had all of the access and none of the responsibility. Which, which is, is beautiful. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> hell totally, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but I got to tell a lot of really, really good stories. Yes. And in that time, I constantly I was asked um, by people that I was that was at photographing their events or just shooting video like, hey, John, I can't get so-and-so to call me back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need any money. Or I'm not. I don't need a, a loan or anything. I just need some answers to some questions, and I can't get so and so to call me back at your organization. Yeah. And uh, you're the only one that we know. You're the only one that ever shows up exactly. all, all the time. You're yeah. the face. Yeah. Well, I had become yeah. that to a certain degree. Just just the by connection. Just the by being there. Right. Exactly. And they were like, you came and you had dinner with me and my family and my kids. Yeah. I mean, I know you. Exactly. And here are my problems. And I started to hear these problems over and over again. We don't have access to opportunity. We mm-hmm. don't yeah. have ways to get engaged mm-hmm. and to bid on certain contracts to get to work with yeah. you guys. We know that you're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. How do I get in on some of those opportunities? How do I do that? And yeah. So I started to ask questions in-house and started to ask people, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. How are we doing this? What, are, what, is, what is happening? And how do we get to do this better? And how do we take the feedback that I'm receiving and, and apply it. And, and apply what was it. the answer? Like, uh, do you the, ever get pushed the answer, back? No, 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 absolutely not. No, what I got actually was uh, was more than I bargained for because it was one of those things like, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. okay, Cabron, you want to start to asking questions in here? You know why we don't You're do You're going to answer them. Because we, we need your help. So you get a new start, title. So, yeah. that's, that's, that's basically what happened. I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than yeah. that, but not much more complicated than that. Once you start asking questions, I was, I'm sincerely interested. I really care yeah. about what happens. I, was, I, I really care about how not only our organization is perceived, but I really care about outcomes mm-hmm. and how we can actually affect and you and i have talked about it yeah offline yeah yeah, yeah. yeah because you know and, and that's one of the topics that you know we wanted to talk equity inclusion there's a, a lot of words that have been thrown around for the past few years yeah. here and not only in portland you know one of the you know uh what do they call them um monochromatic cities <laughs> in America. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we hear those terms yet, you know, and we hear, you know, all these pledges, technology pledges, right. and we're in tech and right. all these things like mm-hmm. yet when we ask what's the result of that? Mm-hmm. Nothing. So there's I mean, it feels like empty words, uh, empty policy, not even policy, just like, does that, is that just to make some people feel good or do we really yeah. want to change that? I think Portland is in a weird, is in a weird place because I think there's a lot of daylighting of 
those differences that you just spoke of. Now there's some daylighting on what's rhetoric Mm -hmm. and what's actionable and what Mm -hmm. have you actually done? Mm -hmm. What are the outcomes? And it feels good to have strong rhetoric and people believe in that stuff and they really believe that we should have a fair and equal workplace and gender Mm -hmm. equality and gender pay equality and they believe those things deeply and truly and they say them out loud. But then when it's time to operationalize those things and then it's time to carry those out, that's when the real work starts. And then before you get to the end of that, before you even get to the end of the implementation part of it, there's some other fancy buzz thing going on like, yeah, I really believe in that too. Let me build some rhetoric around that. Mm-hmm. But and I th- it's hard. I think that, uh, yes, it's it's always there. And then we are all working on, on these topics. But uh, what I think is that we care, but we have barriers. Uh, we want to p- provide opportunities, but those barriers are not letting us uh, get through mm-hmm. uh, the education or the tools or, mm-hmm. or, or the connections because right. of that. And then we as Latinos or as minor- minorities, we have those barriers as well as the, uh, the Anglos. Mm-hmm. So when you are providing this information, they're like, okay, so we want to be uh, uh, providing this information to the minorities, uh, but they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. They're like, want to provide the information, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't hire people that look like us. Right. Uh, how are you going to uh, provide an mm-hmm. information when you're like, okay, we're all white and we want to talk to you about immigration. We want to talk to you about right. uh, opportunities. Uh, how you're like, sometimes like as as um, a business or entrepreneur, like we're like, am I doing this right? Like if I put my name out there, I'm, I'm just going to be calling myself out. And then mm-hmm. that's like the barriers we have. Mm-hmm. Like uh, how, how can we connect us as community to to you and then to all these entities and to all these agencies that are trying to to provide an information uh, and then and then t- to this point opportunities too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that at some point we think that uh, we can't and then right. uh, we're not allowed to have. That's a super complicated question, and, and I wish I had, like, the best answer in yeah, a nutshell. I know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, to the extent that I can be of service, invite me. Mm-hmm. Tell me where to go. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. me when you're having your networking session, when you want me to come and speak with your group, when you want me to come and, and talk about the opportunities that Prosper Portland has. I'm I'm never, ever going to turn down an opportunity to share. Yes, our opportunities with the public, because if you can bid on any one of the jobs that we exactly. have going on, uh, yeah. I, I certainly want to be the one to have put that in front of you mm-hmm. in yes. one way or another. If not personally, uh, through our website, sign up for our newsletters about all the opportunities that we have. Right now, we're, we're at the cusp of the largest real estate development project in the history of Portland, mm-hmm. and that is the Broadway Corridor Project, that where we're moving the, the big uh, post office downtown, mm-hmm. and we're returning 23 acres back to downtown, and it is it massive. is gonna be massive. Yeah. It's massive. 23 it's, acres in the core of downtown. That's right downtown. Almost unprecedented. It is. Mm-hmm. A, yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the city of Denver did something similar to it when they had a massive reconfiguration of a, a large portion of their downtown, mm-hmm. and it changed the entire face of the city. And we're talking about billions of dollars mm-hmm. billions of dollars worth of so, investment yeah. worth of work that's going to have to yeah. yeah that's going to have to go out and all of that stuff is going to go out public bid and it's going to have people going to bid on it mm-hmm. it's my job to make sure that everyone knows it's included how to access these opportunities how to bid on these projects what to do exactly. when uh, how to gear yeah. up 
mm-hmm. to, yeah. to get to that point. There's a lot yeah. of steps that go that, that are in between there. And I work with a lot of really, really good people yes. that help to, to get these businesses and there. And then to this, uh, to, to this uh, point, uh, John, um, I work with a lot of uh, construction uh, in contractors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, You know our demographics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our demographics, some of them can be certified. Mm -hmm. And uh, how we create opportunities for those that are not. Yeah, that's actually, that's my question number one. The first question that I want to talk about is um, how do we get, I mean, we've we've used this system called COBID for a long time. Yes. COBID's got a lot of benefits to it. And this is the the certification process Mm -hmm. um, is super beneficial to a lot of people. It's also... A hindrance to a yeah. lot of other people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we're wrestling with this idea right now. Yeah. How do we authenticate yeah. a business as minority or woman owned and, and have it not be a shell company mm-hmm. where you get to, to be counted as a minority owned business, but you're only just figureheaded by a minority exactly. uh, I see. person. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, a, that's been a problem in the past. And that's a, that's a huge obstacle to overcome. Yeah. And so I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to figure out how we can shore up COVID in ways that we feel like it's deficient, ways in, we f- in ways that we feel like it can be improved or updated or modernized. Totally. Um, it, yeah, it, because there's got to be a way. Because I mean, they're here, they're registered, they they uh, they have a an EIN number, they're paying taxes. Mm-hmm. So why they can't have opportunities to to work yeah. and and have bigger opportunities? Yeah. So yeah, totally. This, it's yeah. a huge conversation. And yeah. We're not having yeah. it alone. I'm part of a. I a, love it. A part of a group right now that's uh, 16 different regional partners talking about workforce development and how we can increase the number of people of color and women on the work site. Mm-hmm. We're also having all kinds of other conversations around the city about how we're going to fund opportunities to build businesses, particularly for people of color and for women. Yeah. And it's it's a huge, huge topic that the entire region is dealing with. It's our Prosper Portland, the city of Portland, yeah. Metro, the Port yeah. of Portland, PPS. I mean, and it's not just here. It's like in every state. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you know, and, and on this topic, you know, what kind of programs have you seen that have worked you know, that the city, the, you know, the, the organizations yeah. mm-hmm. and that, or that you've seen not only here and other other cities that we can be replicated. Well, you know, what's funny enough is that at Prosper Portland, the, the thing that's worked for me in these last two and a half years that I've been in this position is just trying to enforce the rules that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. We have good policy. Some of it yeah. needed to be updated mm-hmm. and refreshed a little bit just to just to clean it up a little bit. But minor things. The most important thing was just enforcing the rules. Just follow the law. Yeah. Having the wherewithal as a leadership team and as the executive director. We have an amazing executive mm-hmm. director. Yeah. And she has been a she has been rock solid on her message. And her message is we are going to enforce our policies. You will abide by our business and workforce equity rules. You will hire people of color and you will hire women. There mm-hmm. is no in between. And that kind of fortitude and that sort of will to actually stand behind the policy that we have and not let it flex Mm -hmm. and not sort of bypass it, that's been huge for me in in these last two and a half years that I've been in this position. To be able to go out into the community and and hold people accountable that have access to opportunities and have access to Mm -hmm. all these other resources and to hold them accountable and saying that you agreed to this XYZ policy to hire people of color and to women and you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. 
how are you going to remedy that? Yeah. yeah, We've got a few different ways that we remedy that, but I can't be that forceful with people if my executive director is not going to have my back. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she has. Yeah. Every single time. I'm super, super blessed in that in that regard to have somebody that I trust, somebody that trusts me, and we're actually moving the needle. So just enforcing the, our current business and workforce equity policies now has been really successful. We're yeah. growing that, and mm-hmm. we're actually doing more by listening to the community and figuring out what they want and what they're telling us. You know what else would work really well if you did this, this, and that? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we did was we made all of our numbers public. Mm-hmm. We're now posting all of our numbers on every single one of our projects on our external website. So you can see the businesses that are uh, that are meeting our minority participation goals and which ones are not. Oh, wow. Trans- which, full transparency. Full transparency. Yeah. And uh, in Seattle, they've done a lot of really good work around uh, local hiring, this regional hiring, zip mm-hmm. code hiring. So they they can't hire by race alone, mm-hmm. but you can target certain zip codes to say, we want X number of people from this zip code. And the demographic information from that zip code is pretty well known. Mm-hmm. You know, affordable housing standards, you yeah, know, yeah. unemployment rates. There's all kinds of ways to target those, those zip codes. And they've been very successful doing that. And I'd like to think about how we might be able to do that here in Portland. There's a lot of yeah. really good stuff happening all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I've been working with uh, Prosper Portland for a year and what well, part of it, because, you know, we have a contract uh, with the Hispanic Chamber, uh, through the Hispanic Chamber. And um, I worked before, uh, I worked 16 years for Nike. And uh, for, it's who? Defin- for who again? Nike. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. <laughs> 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 this shoe company <laughs> that started yeah. in a, uh, in a trunk. Yeah, in the back of yeah. In the back of It's a trunk. little startup. Yeah, a little startup. <laughs> so um, I see a lot of diversity, a lot of people that take serious uh, the equity part. Good. And that they take serious um, that we are there to help the community. Uh, and they take serious. They, they take me serious. So when I'm talking to somebody in there, I feel like, oh, somebody cares about what I'm saying. So I feel very comfortable about talking because I'm I'm usually getting in trouble <laughs> of, <laughs> of like things that I say sometimes because I think how how are we making a change? How are we going to uh, resolve these problems? Like it seems like I'm the only one seeing like that's that's not possible. Right, right. So it like you said, having a good leadership yeah. uh, it is very important. Mm-hmm. So uh, for us leaders, the ones that have a voice to be able to grow, we need a good leader. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we're not going it's like uh, uh, having somebody giving you uh, um, uh, a, a book telling you, okay, this is how you ride a bike. Mm-hmm. You're not going to learn how to how to ride a bike with a book. You're going to learn how to ride a book. Uh, I mean, a bike because somebody is going to teach you how to how to do that. Yeah, yeah. And leaders are in need. Mentors yeah. are in need. Absolutely. So um, yeah, like that's just like it's good for me to go to Prosper Portland and. and and be engaged and then seeing people that cares. Yeah. Yeah. We've changed our, the, the, just in-house, we've changed our hiring practices to include more um, diversity just in the people that we hire. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, to your point about leadership, it's it, obviously it's important to have a really strong leader, but it's important for that leader to give you opportunities to lead. Exactly. So you're given opportunities to be the forefront. You're going to do this. This is your responsibility. Exactly. I'll have your back. Yes. But this is your opportunity to shine. And somebody mm-hmm. in our organization who does that exceptionally well is uh, Myra Ariola. If yeah. you guys haven't met Myra yeah. yet, you should. She okay. is 
Oh, amazing. go have coffee with her. <laughs> she's absolutely amazing. Yeah. She's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. She's such a big thinker. She thinks on this really large, systematic scale where she's, I mean, constantly thinking about strategies and thinking about ways to program um, for the long term. But she also gives you really good opportunities for you to take the reins and for you to lead. She's, okay. a, she's an exceptional leader in that way. Yeah. So uh, Also from Mexico. And this is crazy. Like, I really want to have more conversations with you guys. It's, it's awesome to have you here. It's un agasajo platicar con los dos. Yo platico con Edgar horas y yo soy así embobada porque tenemos muy buenas conversaciones. Pero, what do you like most about your job? Wow. Just to close. Um, I, what I like most about my job um, in, in this iteration of my job is seeing businesses succeed and seeing them grow, seeing them bid on jobs, get the jobs and get paid and mm -hmm. then move on to that exactly. next job. That is so satisfying to me that that you're able to to help with that. We're not 100% successful all the time. And those are the times that I'm focusing on right now. I'm yeah. focusing on why aren't we successful? Is there something that we could be doing better? Yeah. Is there something that um, I could be doing um, at, at a deeper level, creating stronger relationships and better friendships with the people that I'm working with to better understand what they need and then go to work at, on that. On that. Yeah. So I like the challenge of the my job. I like yeah. understanding and figuring out this Rubik's Cube that we mm -hmm. have and, and, and putting my brain to work in that way, but listening a lot mm -hmm. to people in the community. And, and uh, th th those are the things that, that, um, that really inspire me. They're hard. Yes. And uh, they're, they're certainly not the things that uh, you're going to be, you know, headlines in the newspapers for, but this is the hard work. This is yes. the work. Definitely. And that's why that's why I really like that. Awesome, John. Thank you so much for thank being you for with coming us. to yeah. the studio. Man. Thank, thank you guys. I know, and well, we have way more, many more questions. So the, the invitation is open again. You know, in the future to come back, Sass. give us yes. an, an, an update of what's happening. Um, yeah, I would love to. I would love to. You know, I, I have a perfect idea to solve this problem. Uh, if like if I can see it with you and you yeah. in the future, like I would love to. Uh, uh, talk to you because this is something I've been seeing uh, for a while and I, I just want to focus on that yeah. and being able to create a change. Great. Absolutely. Yes. yes. We're ready. Well, We're ready. Anytime. Well, hey. thank you. Happy Friday, everyone. John Cardenas, the Pro Prosper Portland. Bravo. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the Velcro pants are coming up. Now. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> thank you. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday. Right. Thank you. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionist. For small businesses like yours, nothing is more valuable than real human interaction. It's why two out of three mobile web searches for those ready to buy end in a phone call to a business. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startupradio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. Tell them Claudia and Edgar sent you. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast with your hosts, Edgar Navas, founder of Clica, and Claudia Cardenas. El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland. Our audio engineer, mixer, and podcast editor is Alain Beausoleil. Diseñador de logo, Carolyn Main. Our network logo was designed by Jessica Chan. Diseñador de sitio web, Cameron Grimes. Our production assistant is Chelsea Lancaster. Tema de música, Funning and Sunning, de Kevin McLeod. Cree en ti mismo, sueña en grande y confía en el universo, de Marta Leticia y Silvia Romero.